you would like to join me there, we'll be in the book of Acts, chapter 14. Reads like this. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that, that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting sins and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities, cities of Lycaonia, um, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the, gate, to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet, he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had, reached the, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that though many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch 
where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we look to you now for the grace to understand the words that your Holy Spirit inspired to be written. We thank you for a sure, infallible, and inerrant word. And Father, we pray that we would understand it and receive it and live our lives in light of it, all to the praise of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And we ask it in his name. Amen. We continue in the book of Acts this morning. And the point of our passage is, God's work is fulfilled in our work. God's work is fulfilled in our work. Last week, I heard an almost unbelievable survival story. His name was Greg Rashiman, and he worked as a wildlife conservationist in Africa. He was flying his aeroplane one day, and his aeroplane experienced a wing stall. You don't have to know anything about flying aeroplanes to know that that sounds bad. Uh, Basically, one of the wings on the plane just failed and gave way mid-flight. So he crash-landed, awoke to petrol splashing onto his face, made his way out of the craft, and was hit immediately by a trainload of excruciating pain. He had broken his legs in six places. And he was stranded, immobile, and dehydrated in the plains of Africa for 27 hours before being found. The search crew found him, they rushed to him, and when they asked him what had happened, he said, all I had to do was say two words, wing stall, for them to know exactly what had happened. And when it comes to God's work and our work for the kingdom of God, both God's work and our work are like the two wings of an airplane. Both are needed. Both are essential. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Did you hear that? It doesn't say the Lord builds the house so the laborers don't need to build. It doesn't say the laborers build so the Lord doesn't need to build the house. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, Paul said, I worked harder than any of them, that is the other apostles, yet it was not I, 
but the grace of God that is with me. And in Colossians 1.29, the Apostle Paul wrote, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. God's work is fulfilled in our work. Now Acts chapter 14 narrates for us the second half of Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey. You remember the Holy Spirit had commissioned them from the church in Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then two years later, we read this in Acts chapter 14, verse 26, from there, after layer, they, Paul and Barnabas, sailed to Antioch, where they have been commended to the grace of God, hear this now, for the work that they had fulfilled. Circle, underline, highlight those words in your mind for the work that they had fulfilled. Verse 27, and when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. So did Paul and Barnabas fulfill the work or did God fulfill the work? Well, the answer of Acts chapter 14 is yes. They fulfilled the work. God fulfilled the work because God's work is fulfilled in our kingdom work. Now, this is relevant for every believer in this room. Relevant for every Christian gathering with the people of God today because it's relevant for the fearful and for the timid among us. Acts chapter 14 would say to you today, you can't just sit there and say to yourself, there's no way I could do anything of any significance for God. There's no way I could share the gospel with my colleagues. There's no way I could see someone saved. There's no way I could teach others. There's no way I could raise my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Acts chapter 14 would say to you, if you don't, then the plane is going down. And yet it would also encourage you with the truth that God has gifted you for a reason. For God's work to be fulfilled in your kingdom work. What a privilege that is. What an encouragement that is. To know that God has ordained his work to be fulfilled in and through us. And this is relevant for the proud among us. Because Acts chapter 14 would say to those who are proud of their Christian CV, if your work has accomplished anything for the glory of God and for the advance of the kingdom, it is because Jesus Christ was working in you. And so give Jesus all the praise. Give Jesus all the thanks. Give Jesus all the recognition for what he has done in and through you. And this is relevant for the growth of our church. I love on Tuesday nights and Friday mornings to hear the many prayers prayed for revival in Hoylake and on on the Wirral. We long, don't we, church, to see masses of men and women turning from sin, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And yet Acts chapter 14 would say this to us, if a revival is to come, it will be because God anoints the efforts of those who have have their hands on the plow. Revival doesn't happen in a vacuum. 
Revival happens when God anoints and empowers those who have the hands of gospel work on the plow of Christian witness. And so my hope and prayer for our message today is that you would be re-inspired and have your imagination inflamed once more for what God could do with the kingdom efforts of your hand as they stay on the kingdom plow. Or for those of you here who don't have your hand on the plow, for you to get your hand on the plow and labor in faith for, God, for what God might do. Friends, let us not forget there is more to be done. There are more souls to be saved. There are more churches to be planted. There are more evangelistic opportunities to be had. There are more brands to be plucked from the fire. And if those works are to be accomplished by us, it will be because God's work was fulfilled in our work. Friends, are we, are we busy today as gospel laborers in the field? Busy men and women. God's work is fulfilled in our work. And today we're going to see, number one, through anointed preaching. Number two, by miraculous validation. And number three, amid many tribulations. So number one, through anointed preaching. I can't read them all to us now, but there are in our passage 10 references to the preaching ministry of the apostle Paul. 10 references in 28 verses. Think about that. That's more than one in three verses. Speaking of the anointed preaching of the apostle Paul, why is that? Because God works through the proclamation of of his word. God works through word work. Let's just look at a few examples. Look at Acts 14 verse 1. It says, now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. And then Paul and Barnabas catch wind of this plot for their uh, deaths. And so they uh, run for their lives. Look at verse 6. It says, They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. And drop your eye down to verse 21. Down in verse 21 it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. You see the connection? God's work is fulfilled in our work, specifically through anointed preaching. Why? Well, we saw a few weeks ago, didn't we? Because God's word creates God's blessing. You remember I took us all the way back to creation took us back to Genesis chapter 1 and we saw there in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. But then 10 times in Genesis chapter 1 we read the words, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. And what happened when God said? Well, the chaos gave way to form. And the emptiness gave way to fullness and the darkness gave way 
to light. And that is what God's word does. That's what God's word does in us. We all come into the world, don't we, with hearts that are chaotic, hearts that are empty, hearts that are dark, and then God speaks to us. And when God speaks to us in the Bible, the chaos gives way to form, and the emptiness gives way to fullness, and the darkness gives way to light. And before you zone out of all this and say, well, Hugh, good for you. I don't feel called to be a preacher. I don't feel called to be a pastor. Friends, word work is what we are all called to do. Every believer in the world is called to bring God's word to bear to the vast variety of situations that we find ourselves in. Did you notice how Paul's anointed preaching here didn't take place in a church? It took place, first of all, in a Jewish synagogue where the Jews and the Greeks were all unbelievers. And then having fled from Iconium to Lystra, it took place in the open air to a bunch of pagans. There was no hymn sandwich in Lystra. There was no children's talk in Lystra. There was no pastoral prayer in Lystra. Just a a bunch of pagans who were deceived. And Paul brings God's words to bear. Friends, that is what you are called to do in your family, in your office, in your friendships, on your street. And how are we to do that? Well, friends, there there is a golden lesson to be learned from the example of the Apostle Paul here. Did you notice how the message didn't change? But the starting point of the Apostle Paul changed depending on where he was. So back in Acts chapter 13, when he was in the synagogue, he began with the Old Testament scriptures. But then in Lystra, surrounded by pagans who had probably heard very little of the Old Testament, he begins with the vanity of their false religions and he calls them to a true and a living God. And so friends, let's say, For example, that your child tells you in a moment of great vulnerability and fear that he or she is afraid of the conflict between Russia and the Ukraine uh, leading to some sort of World War III type situation, some sort of nuclear holocaust. You can sit your child down and you can say to him or her, listen, I don't know how this is going to end, but I do know that Jesus Christ has promised heaven for all who believe in him. A heaven where there are no nuclear missiles because the former things have passed away. I don't know how this is going to end, but I know how history is going to end. And it's going to end with Jesus bringing heaven to earth. It's going to end with Jesus welcoming into paradise all who have turned from sin and trusted in him. Will you do that today? If you will, it doesn't matter what happens down here. Your eternity is safe. Or let's say one of your colleagues is expressing outrage at yet another hideous example of racism in the world. Think like George Floyd or or something as barbaric and as evil as that. You can say to your colleague, you know, as as a Christian, I believe this is worse than you might think it is. Because the Bible says that everyone 
regardless of race, regardless of nationality, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of background, is made in the image and likeness of God. And so an attack on a human being is an attack on God. And yet, Jesus Christ shed his most precious blood in order to save men and women from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And he wants them all around his throne. And he wants you around his throne. And if you will turn in repentance and faith today, you can be there with us, praising the one who died and shed his blood for the races, for the ethnicities, and for the nations of the world. And friends, take it from someone whose life is devoted to woodwork. If you will put your hand to this plow, then you will know the unparalleled joy of seeing God's work fulfilled in your work. The lost will be found. The blind will see. The dead will rise and live. And prodigals will come home. And the chaos in people's lives will give way to order. And the emptiness in people's lives will give way to fullness. And the darkness in people's hearts will give way to light. And there is no joy like that. God's work is fulfilled in our work. Number one, through anointed preaching. But I want us to see second, by miraculous validation. Look at verse three again. We read, so they remained for a long time, that is in Iconium, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And then drop you right down to verse 8. We read, now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they call Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the, and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. Now this has to be the weirdest moment yet in the book of Acts, right? It might help you to know that 50 years prior to this moment in Acts chapter 14, a a Latin poet called Ovid, or Ovid, wrote a work called Metamorphos, and in that literary work, uh, the gods of Jupiter, Zeus, and uh, Mercury, Hermes, came down dressed as men, And they approached men in the same region for hospitality. And these men rejected them. And Zeus and Hermes responded by burning their houses down. 
So, so they see Paul and Barnabas doing what only they think gods can do. And they think, well, we better open the doors of our home and honor these men. Or if not, they're going to burn our houses down as well. But in reality, what was happening here was God was bearing witness to the truth of the gospel in and through a miracle. Giving undeniable proof to the watching world that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who will believe, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. Now at this point, the the questions start pouring out of our ears, don't they? Hugh, if that's how God bore witness to the truth of the gospel back then, why isn't that or should that not be how God bears witness to the truth of the gospel today? I was, uh, I was talking with Mark recently, catching up with Mark after his trip to Tajikistan. And uh, he was telling me all about a pastor whom he works with. This pastor amazingly was converted in prison. And when he got out, he was on fire for the gospel. He met someone in the marketplace and he got this man's contact details. He meant to contact him straight away, but for some reason he forgot. And then about two weeks later, he was preparing to preach at an event that night. And he had this man come to mind and so he called him. And it just so happened that as he called this man, this man had to put a noose around his neck. And he looks at his phone and he thinks to himself, should I answer? Should I not? He answers the phone. And this pastor invites him to come and hear him preach that night. (laughs) And the man, you're not allowed to laugh at this, says, I'm sort of in the middle of something right now. I'm not going to be able to make it. Well, this wasn't England. And so this pastor said, I don't care what you're in the middle of. Get yourself here now and hear what I have to say. He attended. He was converted that night. The same pastor was telling Mark about another person who had throat cancer. And in this area called Pamir, It's supposed to be an Islamic region, but it's actually covered in witchcraft and folklore religion as well. And people are so indifferent to the gospel of Jesus Christ that if you try and share Christ with them, their eyes glaze over and they'll just say something to you like, prove it, prove it. So here was this pastor talking to a man with throat cancer. And he says to this man with cancer, well, have you you prayed about it? And this man says, what? So you're, you're saying just pray about it and Jesus will take my cancer away. And so he prayed about it and Jesus took his cancer away. And Mark has seen this picture of before and after where in the one, this man is gaunt and in the other, this man is restored with a smile on his face and with a belly. And the doctors say, we have no way of understanding what has happened here. This is beyond our power to explain. And so does God work miracles today? Well, of course he does. Should we pray for God to work miracles? Well, of course we should. And we should all be praying for Mark. Apparently he's become a raving charismatic, everyone. Um, But but friends, there there is another type of miracle that we should be every bit as passionate about And that is the miracle of consistent Christian behavior in the world. 
when the greatest among us is among us as one who serves. When, when we rejoice, when we are glad, when others revile us and persecute us and utter all kinds of evil falsely because of our love and witness for Jesus. When we turn the other cheek, having been punched in the face, when we love our enemies and when we pray for those who persecute us, when we don't practice our righteousness to be seen by others, but when we give of our money, when we give of our time, when we give of our resources, expecting to receive nothing in return, when we refuse to be anxious about the things the people of the world are anxious about, God validates our message to a crooked and perverse generation. Friend, never underestimate the power of a consistent Christian witness in a dark world. When we live the way Jesus calls us to live, there is a miraculous power, power, wonder-working power that turns heads and draws men to their knees and lifts the eyes of men and women heavenward and says, Lord, what salvation is this? And so church, can I say to us as a whole and can I say to us as individuals, keep looking to Jesus. Keep following Jesus. Keep looking full in his wonderful face. And as you do, know yourself transformed, conformed to his very likeness and watch him work power and works of grace in your life to imitate him in a perverse and crooked generation. Well, God's work is fulfilled in our work through anointed preaching by miraculous witness and third and lastly amid many tribulations that is God's work is fulfilled amid many many tribulations why because tribulation is the manure in which God's work grows what did Jesus say he said to the disciples behold I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, as innocent as doves. He said, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, Jesus said, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more 
will they malign those of his household. Friend, do not think that being hated for righteousness sake means that you have done something wrong. If you are just a internet troll for Jesus, you did do something wrong. And for all the love in the world, please stop it. But if you have lovingly and courageously and graciously shared the gospel with a family member or with a friend and they hate you, the manure of opposition is the ground in which God works, God's work grows. And you have not done anything wrong. In fact, their opposition might be proof that you did something right. Those in Iconium plotted to stone Paul and Barnabas, and then they followed them to Lystra a hundred miles away. And having poisoned the minds of those in Iconium, they poisoned the minds of those in Lystra such that they stone Paul. And the church has to pray him back up to his feet. And, and what did Paul do? Well, Paul went right back into the city in which he had just been stoned. Why? Because there were souls to be strengthened. There were elders to be appointed. There were sermons to preach in the churches that they planted. There were warnings to be made. This was no time for a wing stall in the Apostle Paul's work. This was time for both God's work to be fulfilled in Paul and Barnabas' work as well. And so friends, the word to us is very, very simple. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. If I could have those words tattooed on the inside of my eyelids, I would be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Opposition is not proof you did something wrong. It is sometimes proof that you did something right. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. So church, stand firm when the people in the office call you a bigot because you will not have that flag on your desk. Stand firm when your child resents you for dragging him or her to this place to sit under the preaching of of the word. Stand firm when that friend whom you have bent over backwards with hates you because you are on the other side of a social issue and you dare to open your mouth. Do not be discouraged. Do not be deterred. Do not give up. Do not quit. Instead, remember that God's work is fulfilled in our work. And be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. How could it be when God's work is fulfilled in our kingdom work? Amen. 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 Why don't we why don't we take a moment and pray and then we'll stand to our feet and we will worship together.
Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would forgive us for those times when we are not steadfast and when we are not immovable and when we do not abound in your work because we are afraid. And we pray, Lord, that you would give to us your courage to be steadfast, to be immovable, and to be those who are always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. Lord, help us as a church, we pray, to bear fruit. And Lord, all these things we ask in your name. Amen.